Hello and welcome to episode number six. We've made it to six episodes here on the Throwing Strikes podcast. I am Steven Risotto. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Strikes Podcast and on Instagram at Throwing Strikes Podcast. And I'm pleased to be joined now by Steven Ruderman, a self-considered baseball encyclopedia. He's written for numerous different San Francisco Giants sites. And he's hosts his own show called Unfiltered Opinions on Periscope. Recently, he came up with a detailed plan for the season to start up again, uh, the baseball season that is to start up again, which we will get into a little bit later on. How you doing, Stephen? Thanks for joining me. Doing okay. I'm a little stressed out with the latest news uh, in terms of the war of millionaires versus billionaires, but other than that, I'm okay. How about you? I'm doing well. Same, same boat. I miss the game. I miss baseball. Uh, and obviously, no baseball right now. Um, what have you done to pass the time? I know for a lot of us, baseball is a huge part in our lives. What have you done to pass the time with no baseball? Well, Stephen, and I'm being honest with you, baseball is, is not a part of my life. Baseball is my life, and it's, it's been very hard for me mentally not to have baseball because I've never had a, a summer without baseball. I'm just, you know, getting up, doing Periscope, playing guitar, getting exercise, and uh, pushing a plan I have for the baseball season and, and hoping uh, for a baseball season. So just for uh, some people that aren't familiar with your work, explain to the viewers and, and the listeners, um, what got you into baseball and, and how did your love for the game uh, evolve through the years? Well, the first game I ever watched was June 4th, 2001, when the Giants beat the Padres 3-1. to My dad just got me into it. Um, it's, you know, I was six about to turn seven. And then August 14th, 2001 was like when I really got into it. My, okay, so I'm seven years old. So bear with me when I tell you this story. My dad predicted Bond, Barry Bonds is up with the bases loaded. And my dad predicts Bonds is going to hit a grand slam. And he does, and he hits it into the water against the Marlins. And I'm like, the seven, again, I'm seven. Dad, how did you know he was going to do that? And it was just one of those uh, those cool moments that got me into the game. And then I really became a diehard fan when the Giants uh, came back to meet the Dodgers in the wild card race in 2002 and, and went to the World Series. And really since the end of 2002, baseball, people can joke that baseball's your life. But no, in, in all honesty, for someone like me who, you know, I don't want to get personal here, but I've suffered from depression. Baseball is my life. I truly love the game. It's my religion. It's what keeps me grounded through good and bad times. And, and not having a season, Stephen, is incredibly, incredibly tough. So what's it like uh, to see these three championship teams go through San Francisco? I know I understand a lot of fan bases cannot say the same in San Francisco and the Bay Area you know, all Bay Area sports, the Warriors, the Niners this year, we're spoiled. And so how awesome was it watching that run of those championship teams? You know, it's weird. It, 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 the, first, the first championship was incredible, but the other two just caught me off guard because I was so used to the Giants losing in the 2000s. You know, six straight years of not going to the playoffs, so forth, row nine, and then suddenly they won three championships in five years. It kind of catches you off guard in all honesty. It's like, how do you grasp it? I'm not used to winning like this. So that's, that's how I would uh, say I felt. 
So in terms of the Giants um, in 2020, before the shutdown, before all of this happened, what were the expectations for this team moving forward? I know a lot of experts and people around the team um, were, you know, were convinced that this was kind of going to be another rebuild year, or maybe even at best a 500 team. Uh, so what were your expectations going into this year for the Giants? Well, I said prior to last year that we were looking at a rebuild. and 19 and 20 are really a combined 2008. This year was a rebuild, and I even, I don't know, I maybe I threw it away, but I wrote down official predictions record-wise, and I said 69 and 93. The one good thing is we have a good farm system, and if we do have a season this year, which knock on wood, I still think we'll have, I would say 73% chance. Uh, just pulling that random number out. Uh, that the fact that the Giants farm system is really good and they'll be using some of those guys like Bart, uh, Ramos, Hunter Bishop, I think could bode well for them. Plus, you know, limited amount of games and a 14-team playoff field. I could see the Giants make being a dark horse this year. I wouldn't predict it, but I could see it happening. So before we get into your plan, I understand that you kind of have a knack for schedules. Uh, you can recall about just about any Giants game – date for the past what almost 20 years uh since 2003 not like every game but i can tell you pretty much who the giants played oh there you go so how did that come about that's pretty that's a pretty awesome trait to have i i can't answer that man um just my love for the game um that's pretty much it you know it's just when when Throughout these years, uh, when I'm sitting in school or I'm sitting in a restaurant or at the bar or, or walking or anything, I, I, I think a lot about baseball. And um, I don't know how I'm able to remember this stuff, but I just, just think a lot about baseball, and I guess that's how I'm able to, to remember it. June 15th, 2010. June 15th, 2010, Giants played the Orioles, and they lost. Oh, well. I go well behind the plate in that game. I remember that. <laughs> well, there you go. So let's dig into your plan now. Uh, I'll give you the floor. So uh, go ahead and introduce what you have. Well, okay. First of all, this plan's probably not going to be used, but a couple of months, no, uh, on April 4th, um, to be exact, I was uh, bored <laughs> and missing baseball. And you're thinking, how's baseball going to be played with, with the COVID-19 pandemic? And I thought, you know, I'm someone with a, a very uh, uh, big imagination. Um, I have a lot of creativity in me, and I thought, okay, I'll just chicken scratch some sort of some sort of plan that they could play the season. And I wrote it out, not totally 100% serious, but thinking, hey, this could be doable. And it's this plan where the league would start around July 4th, but play the first season in hubs in Arizona and Florida to limit travel early on to keep everyone in one place and to kind of wait things out uh, until it's safe to travel, which I imagine would be by the beginning of August. It would be a Cactus League versus uh, Grapefruit League format. Instead of National League and American League this year, you would have the Cactus League Division Series, the Cactus League Championship Series, and the Cactus League and Grapefruit League pennant winners meet in the World Series. I would set up – you would have to shift some teams around. Um, 
to make sure teams are playing every day when they're in the hubs. There's one hub in Arizona, three in Florida. And I set them up with, with I moved the Reds and Indians to the Grapefruit League and the Cardinals, Astros, and Twins to the Cactus League. That's to ensure teams play every day and to set up appropriate regional divisions for when the teams return to the normal parks in August. Um, the hubs would be a hub in Phoenix, of course, where everyone was within 45 minutes of each other. A hub that extends from Port St. Lucie through Jupiter and West Palm Beach. Two hubs that run through St. Petersburg. Uh, the Rays would play at the Trop. Blue Jays would play in Dunedin. And the Braves and the Marlins would decide what, which uh, team plays in Clearwater and which plays at Steinbrenner Field in Tampa. And then in another hub, which features the Pirates, Reds, Indians, and Tigers, one of those teams would, would split the trop with the Rays. Another would play at Al Lang Stadium down the street from the trop, which until 2008 was the spring facility for the Rays. Uh, the Pirates would play in Bradenton and have the Reds play in Sarasota, which was their spring training facility before they moved to the Cactus League in 2010. Uh, I would start the year July 4th. I would have the season go an extra week and a half with double headers to get 100 games, which is what the players want. World Series then should should end no later than November 9th. But I feel like this would be the safest way to start the year because really the first about through the beginning of August, you're, you're going to kind of have to play the season in a bubble. And when you're in Arizona and Florida in July, you know, <laughs> there's not going to be much incentive to leave your hotel. So that will make things a little easier for the players who need to stay inside. Um, trying to think if there's anything else. Um, you know, 14-team playoffs, where well, you get that. Uh, and I think that's pretty much it. <laughs> so um, what would you – would you be opposed and, and maybe uh, this, maybe this idea um, kind of comes out, spills out a bit more in these proposals that are coming up, but – uh, what would you think about the, uh, the the possibility of them playing in their home parks? I know that um, the teams playing in their home parks, I know that travel right now maybe isn't the right thing to do. So give me your thoughts on that. I don't think it's safe uh, for numerous reasons. You're going to have to be swapping players out at hotels from city to city. Not every team stays at the same hotel in each city. Uh, not to mention the umpires who travel commercial, yes, first class, but still commercial with a bunch of strangers. And COVID is very transmittable on airplanes. And so I just, I think if you start playing in normal ballparks, I think you're looking at uh, someone, at someone catching it and the season being reshut down. I don't know if re-shutdown's a word, but I'll say it. No later than the middle of July, in all honesty. <clears throat> so, um, Rob Manford went on CNN a couple of maybe days ago, maybe last week or the week before. I don't know when. But straight, um, face. straight face. I'm trying. I'm talking to myself, <laughs> not you. <laughs> Rob Manford is is he's popular with some. He's unpopular with many. That's just kind of how his he works. And I guess, you know, if you're a commissioner of baseball, Bud Selig definitely had downfalls. You're going to have some haters out there. And uh, Steven Ruderman keeping the straight face there. Uh, so he mentioned some testing and, and their development of testing and where they were going to test peop, uh, players. Um, testing, obviously, if they want to reopen baseball, it needs to be done. And I think you could agree there. 
So what would your plan be with testing? Would you have like a, a testing hub in both Arizona and Florida? How would that work? I think you would have, well, here's the deal. You would make sure each team, each team would stay at their own hotel in each of the four hubs, one in Arizona, three in Florida. The umpires would all be in each hub would all be housed in the same hotel. Um, and I, I think you would have the testing con conducted at the hotels. And the beautiful thing about the hubs plan is that for about, you know, six to eight weeks, everyone will be in their same hotel. And so all the tests will be there. Um, and the players won't be traveling around anywhere. They won't be going outside. And it's, I just think that's the, the reason it's, it's the safest way to start the season. So there's a report that came out a little bit ago that um, describes some of the off the field safety measures that would be going through, uh, that would be going to be explored, excuse me, such as, you know, not showering at the ballpark before the games, after the games, um, showing up essentially in your uniform, like how you did when you were 12 in little league, um, no spitting, no sunflower seeds, Social distancing in, in the dugout, which, I mean, if anybody's ever been in a Major League Baseball dugout, they're not big. And I think I also saw something where, you know, the starting nine would social distance in the dugout. And, you know, you have the bench guys sit aside in the stands. <laughs> um, so, you know, what would you do? What would, you know, if, if you were the commissioner of baseball, and I'm sure you would love to have that job. Would you, would you love to have, be the commissioner of baseball? Hell yeah, baby. Hell yeah. <laughs> so if you were the commissioner of baseball, how would you deal with some of those kind of, they seem minimal changes, but I think a lot can go into them. What do you think about that? First of all, I would make playing optional for each player. And I would make it that if a player chooses not to play, they can still get somewhat of a salary and still get some service time. Um, and give them the option that if they want to come back, they have to come back no later than September 1st. I would honestly not let players who have a pre-existing health condition that would make them a higher risk play. So I like would not. Trey Mancini with the Orioles who was diagnosed Trey with. Mancini, I think like Bell has like a lung issue. Um, John Lester and Anthony Rizzo who've had chemotherapy. If I'm the commissioner, I would say, guys, I'm giving you your salary, but I, just, you know what, I want you guys to sit out the season and be ready to go next year. Um, I think some of the stuff is a little overboard that they're doing. I think, uh, you know, I, I think I'm okay with dressing at the hotel. The problem, Because, you know, that's how you did it in Little League. The problem is when you did this in Little League, it was before puberty, and, you know, you didn't smell horrible after each game. Um, <laughs> and uh, that is going to be a problem if you're on a bus with a bunch of guys who haven't showered. Um, what that's going to be interesting. I, I think players should still be allowed to use the, like the pools in the clubhouse, but just do it with, you know, like limited amount of people at a time. I think even showering can be done with a limited amount of people. Mm -hmm. Um, and plus if, if, if I, you know, if a situation comes about where say, they do travel to city from city to city. Say if, you know, it's a getaway day and um, you're going to have them not yeah. shower. So what, how is that? That's, that, that's, that's crazy a, to me. That's a huge, and see, this is where starting in hubs 
comes in handy where you're going to be at the same hotel for a month and a half. So you don't have to you know, worry about getting on the road or you got all the time in the world. You're, you're not going to leave your hotel. So you pretty much got all the time in the world between the end of the game. And uh, when you go back to the hotel. So it's, 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 it's so interesting. There was even more that I looked at, um, you know, social distancing in the, in the, and I know you're a big umpire guy, social distancing in the dugout. That would mean that the catcher and the umpire would have different relations there. So, you know, I heard maybe we see the automatic automated strike zone, but that's kind of, I think that's still a years away. Um, but maybe a situation where they stand behind the mound and call balls and strikes. <laughs> uh, I think they'll stand behind the, I, I think you'll just have the home plate umpire wearing an N95 mask. And I think, and maybe gloves on their hands. Um, the one thing that would probably have to change in terms of the umpire catcher relationship, probably not permanently, but for at least the beginning of the season would be how, I mean, for some umpires like uh, Doug Eddings and the late great Eric Cooper, uh, who sadly passed away at the end of last year, they already like most umpires on a foul ball or a ball in the dirt and on a ball in the dirt, they always take out the ball. It's been the case since the early two thousands and you have a new one. Most umpires will just hand the ball to the catcher. As I mentioned, Eddings and the late great Eric Cooper, they like to throw it back to the mound. I imagine they'd probably want the umpires to throw the balls back to the mound instead of just handing it to the catcher. Um, so I think that would be the only way that that relationship has changed. Um, I would also make it optional for umpires to work this season. You have uh, quite a handful of, uh, of umpires, Jerry Davis, Joe West, Larry Vanover, Tom Hallian, Phil Cuzzy. Uh, and others who, um, no, Dan Demuth is retired. Jerry Lane, Mike Winters, who are uh, who are over sixty years old, and of course it's it's sixty five and older, which Joe West and Jerry Davis are. That uh, is one of the big uh, risk factors. And honestly, um, Jerry Davis is coming in on his five thousandth game. One of the best umpires of all time. Really, he announced he was going to retire at the end of this year, bomb the league. I'd just say, hey, Jerry, come back next year. You know sit this year out same with joe west who will probably umpire till he's like 80 <laughs> and I <think> he does. <laughs> uh, that's what so, i would do yeah so and let's get to this point and i know you've been talking about this the billionaires versus the millionaires and the players want to get paid they've expressed concern if they don't get paid like blake snell said um something about like you know it wouldn't be worth it risking my health to play if I wasn't getting paid. And you, uh, Marcus Stroman said something uh, actually today or whenever this is posted uh, recently, I guess. He said that, you know, pretty much looks like baseball is coming back next year. So what would the ideal financial – and this is a big question, uh, and I, it might take some while to answer, but what would the ideal financial agreement be between Major League Baseball in the Players Association to make this work somehow, some way? Well, the problem here is that the owners already agreed to give the players a prorated salary. You know, look, I'll be the first to admit that these guys are grossly overpaid and greedy. That these Absolutely. Guys players. Baseball players are paid way too much. Way too much. But, I mean, but really the billionaire owners are the good guys here. I'm sorry, but you agreed to give the players X amount of money. You can't just – you can't just take that back. That's negotiating in bad faith. And look, 
first of all, maybe you do, I doubt you actually are going to have the losses that you're saying. But even if you did, with the fact that there's been a lot of dishonesty with Manfred and the owners, there's kind of a boy who cried wolf factor, which is hard to believe you, even if believe them, even if they're uh, uh, they're telling the truth. And hold on, let me catch my train of thought. Uh, totally forgot what I was going to say. I had a senior moment. Um, if what was I going to say? Um, the players. Yeah, um, there is some language in the deal that could suggest that perhaps they needed to renegotiate if uh, there were no fans in the stands, at least to start the season. But at the same time, I mean, I feel like we would have heard about that at the time. Um, they've offered the players two thing deals, which are not really good. First being a 50-50 revenue split. The second being the lower you're paid, the more you get. If the minimum wage players, which is, you know, what, $500,000 a year in a normal season, or no, 500, I think like 89,000 a year now in a normal season, they would get about close to 100% of their prorated salary while the richest, like Mike Trout, would get 20 to 30%. And what really is, it's an effort to divide the union. And people are all even strong. When Strowman is saying, Oh, looks like we're not having baseball to next year. Dude, shut up. We're going to have a baseball season. The, the, the thing is, this is going to be the first of many offers from both sides. And the thing is, both sides know it would be extremely catastrophic not to have a season. It would be, for, for this season to be canceled due to money reasons, it would be worse than the strike in 94. Attendance next year would be abysmal. Then after that, you have the CBA, which runs out. And for sure, there would be a work stoppage after a disastrous 2021 season. And if you have two, and I'm about to be 100% honest, Stephen, if we have two canceled seasons in three years, we'll be lucky if it's only, you know, several teams folding. I could see a situation where if this year's canceled and 2022's canceled, where the league itself folds in 2022 or 2023, and I'm deadly serious. I'm dead serious about that. And I think both sides know that that could happen, and that's going to be an incentive for, for both sides to get a deal done. If I'm the players, I would say, listen, you guys agreed to give us something. We'll take a 50-50 revenue split, but you got to give us a lot in return. This is where actually I think the players could win some major concessions. And the deal I would make is draft lottery, starting with the 2022 draft, which means after the season ends, going starting this upcoming offseason, there would be no more tanking that would make free agents like Mookie Betts and Marcus Stroman a lot more likely to get paid because of course it's like, Hey, you want to win, spend money now and win now. Um, change the amount of service time needed for free agency from six years to four years for guys who make their major league debuts at 25 and younger, three years for guys who make their major league debuts at 26 or older. And then maybe give the owners something, a little something they want, maybe agree to expand the playoffs from 10 to 12. Or I would do is turn the wild, keep the, playoff format at 10 teams but turn the wild card games into a best two out of three i can see that and and the uh the proposal you're talking about um this just moments ago um we're recording this actually on may 26 <clears throat> excuse me uh jeff passan moments ago tweeted uh an, uh, an article out on espn.com and his tweet said Quote, MLB proposed cuts to the highest paid players in baseball and its first economic proposal to the players Tuesday. Players 
uh, players in turn bristled at the proposal. There's a significant gap between the league, between what the league offered and what the players want. He went, he went on to say, worth noting, it is the first day of this extremely important week, and this is the first proposal from the league. That said, there's disappointment from the players, and to get anything close to what they want to play, play MLB is going to have to move significantly off its proposal. Further detail, the proposed pay cuts, according to a source with knowledge of them, would affect all players with the highest paid would get the most significant reduction in salary. The possibility of all players having to take a reduction as part of the league's proposal. Uh, and John Heyman followed this up as well. John tweeted, quote, exact percentages in Major League Baseball proposal aren't known, but the people involved estimate the best paid stars. So like Trout, Cole, Verlander, Strasburg. Or sorry, yeah, oh, he's on there, but Scherzer, et cetera, might make about 20 to 30% of their full salary over 82 games plus postseason. So for Cole, for instance, that would not be 36 million, but about 9 million. That is a huge, that is, that is a pretty big uh, reduction. So do you have any uh, extra thoughts to go along with that? Well, that's one of the reasons in my plan, the players would actually, the players want closer to 100 games. Mm-hmm. And this is where I think both sides could budge. My plan calls for an extra week and a half on the season, the regular season ending October 7th, a Wednesday instead of Sunday, September 27th, 10 extra days. And with double headers, that would allow for 100 games to be played instead of 82. That's 720 extra games total league-wide, and I think that would possibly make both sides budge a little bit. So these talks and negotiations would carry over. If, if a deal is made, that would be significant momentum to the CBA. And if a deal is not made and there's still turmoil over this, the CBA could be, like you said earlier, in jeopardy of, of getting completed. And So how important is it for both sides, MLB and the Players Association, to get on the same page? Um, and you kind of touched on this. Uh, in jeopardy of, like, in, in terms of, um, the future seasons with the CBA. How important is this moment right here, this week? This is one of the most crucial couple of weeks in baseball history, um, as I said, because if, if this season's canceled due to money issues, the fallout from that would already be awful. And then to have, you know, 90% chance that the 2022 season will get entirely canceled too. I mean, it would just be so catastrophic. And I think it would honestly, Major League Baseball would be forced to fold. I think would be that bad. And I think both sides know this. And this is, look, the players really shouldn't have to meet halfway with the owners there. The owners already gave the players, you know, promised the players something. I think the players, I think the problem here is, Stephen, is, and I've always said this with professional sports, is they shouldn't be negotiating it amongst themselves. They should be hiring arbitrators. The two sides should hire an arbitrator on each of their behalf, and then two arbitrators agree to a neutral arbitrator. And that's how it should go. Or the players should go to court and say, listen, the player, the owners already agreed to give us this, this, and that. Um, this is, I said a couple of weeks ago, the players should go to court and try and get the, um, the March agreement enforced. Um, as I said, I think a deal will get done. I would say 70 to 75% chance a deal gets done just because it would just be incredibly catastrophic for a deal not to be done. And especially, I think, the NHL's big announcement 
that's coming up within like the next hour. That is going to be a lot. That's going to be big motivation to get a deal done. And as I said, I mean, the players really shouldn't have to give up anything, but I think the players are actually, they don't, I think the players don't get this. And the problem is Tony Clark is kind of weak. We saw it with the last round of CBA negotiations back in 2016 when he gave Manfred and the owners way too much. But the players actually, this could be a goldmine for the players, as I said, because they could use this to win some major concessions. Because you can go and say, look, we'll take a 50-50 revenue split, but you got to give us something. And as I said, draft lottery, earlier free agency for young guys, and that, and I mean, let's, let's say you start a draft lottery with the 2022 draft, which means this offseason, uh, this offseason, there wouldn't be any tanking, and guys like Mookie Betts, Marcus Stroman, and others would get paid. Um, and that would actually be good financial protection for the future for free agents. So you mentioned why, the oh, – go on. I don't get why the players aren't screaming for a draft lottery out of this. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, speaking of the draft, this year it's only going to be five rounds. Um, what are your thoughts on that? And Because me personally, I think this is big. This is big. Um, and I look at it more from a – uh, standpoint of of players that are interested in playing this game at a high level and Major League Baseball's appeal factor and how we're losing baseball's losing really really good athletes to sports like the NBA the NFL um, and I, I think that it could not be it might not be the right message to send right now in, in my opinion. Um, but I also understand it. You know, I don't know how far scouting got up until the point of when they were, you know, not sent out anymore. Um, so I think at least the first five rounds have pretty much been figured out by most, most teams. So what's your thoughts on the draft? Well, the draft should be longer than five rounds, but a lot of the problems, a lot of baseball's problems stem from the economy. And I have said a lot on, you know, when I talk politics, that the economy never really recovered from 2008. And um, the league feels this need to make rule changes because attendance hit an all-time high in 07 at 79 million, 78 million a year later in 08. It slipped from 78 million to 73 million in 09. And every year from 09 to 2017, it was 72 to 74 million. And so the league thinks there's some sort of promise, not that they're losing fans. It's that the economy went into the, into the, to the can at the end of 2008 and tickets are way too expensive. And honestly, I think the rule changes are, are making fans. It's one of the biggest reasons I think that the tanking and most of all the price of tickets is one of the biggest reasons uh, attendance is decreasing in terms of players playing other sports. Same thing, the economy, think about it. All you need to do, to learn basketball is you just need to buy a basketball and go to your local basketball court. All you need to do to learn to play football at the beginning is just buy a football and throw it around. With baseball, you have to get several balls. You have to get a glove. You have to get a bat. It costs a lot more money to play baseball when you're a kid. And there's a reason why it's, you don't see uh, a lot of baseball in, uh, in impoverished neighborhoods. And you know, so a lot of the, the players like Brandon Crawford and others, they, they grew up, the white guys, they grew up kind of lucky <laughs> because they had parents who could afford that kind of stuff for them. Whereas a lot of African-Americans who go and play basketball and football didn't have parents who could buy them that kind of stuff. They, didn't, they couldn't afford it. 
I think yeah. that's one of the biggest issues here. That is a flaw, in my opinion. Baseball is a very expensive sport to play, no doubt. Um, and I, I almost forgot to mention the fans because you, you stated earlier that, you know, baseball is probably uh, going to start the year uh, without fans. And um, there's a possibility, you know, I, I was watching I, – well, I wasn't watching it, but uh, I saw a picture of the KBO games and I saw that they were letting some people in and uh, it was really good social distance. Um, and you mentioned, you know, tickets are expensive and I think that has something to do with this in terms of people being okay to watch it at home because uh, a lot of people feel like, you know, we don't have to spend – you know, 21 bucks on a beer. We don't have to spend $8 on a hot dog. You know, we just want baseball. And that's what a lot of people are feeling right now. And I think whether or not they go to the games or not, they want to see the games. So, you know, they, they just want the game. They just want baseball back. Um, so what do you, how do you think that the fans, and maybe you have it in your plan, how do you think that the fan situation is going to evolve? Do you think it's going to, they're going to start accepting more and more people in? Just a couple thousand, couple hundred? How would that work? Well, the thing is, is that COVID is so unpredictable. And, you know, I was telling you before we went on the air, the big word I've been thinking about lately just in life with COVID. And, you know, you see all these people saying, oh, there's not going to be a season. Oh, shut up. There's going to be a season. And it's (laughs) perspective is what I'm thinking. Let's just look at things in perspective. We don't know what. The situation is going to look like in August. We don't know what's going to be in October. There could be a second wave that's far worse than this current wave. There could be a second wave that's just as bad. There could be a second wave that's nowhere near as bad. There may not be a second wave. We don't know. We can't predict the future. That's what a lot of the medical experts have uh, said. But I think if things continue to go well, and cases have been somewhat steadily declining, they should be going more, but you know we haven't been doing the greatest with social distancing. I think if you start the season in hubs, by the time you return to the normal ballparks, which would be August 7th under my plan, uh, I think you could let stadiums at 5 to 10% capacity, which would be two to 4,000. Um, you would, of course, close out off the first 10 rows of all sections touching the field. Um, but I think you could definitely have two to 4,000 uh, fans per game starting at the beginning of August. And perhaps, you know, maybe they'll, what's weird, you know, are they going to find a vaccine anytime soon? I don't know. I actually think they could find a vaccine soon. The thing is, it does take a while, but at the same time, they had a vaccine in five months back in 2009 for H1N1. It, it, they, they, these things happen really quickly. And I seriously wouldn't be surprised if they have a vaccine by Labor Day just because modern technology is just so good. Um, and if you actually get a vaccine, say by September, then you could actually have stadiums back really at full capacity by then. Uh, my bet is the vaccine comes more around the holidays, but I would imagine that we'll have fans at some point in the stands. I bet postseason they might be 25, 50% capacity, but I wouldn't expect to see any stadium packed this year. But I think we'll have fans at, at some sort of capacity starting early in August if, if all goes well. Couple more things here before we wrap this up. How do you feel about the designated hitter possibly being implemented uh, in the National League? I know they there's talk about them trying to plug some things in, and um, you know maybe an extra inning thing where they start the extra innings with runner at second. Me personally, I would prefer. <laughs> me personally, I would prefer the designated hitter how it is right now with the kind of split up. I personally like the national league style of baseball. 
Uh, I like the strategy that goes into it. I like the double switching. I like the uh, pinch hitting. And do I keep the pitcher in? Do we pinch hit in this situation? Bunting. I like all that. However, for me personally, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to see the designated hitter in baseball. Um, it, It wouldn't be the sky is falling by no means. Uh, so like if, if my life depended on it and they said, you know, I got a gun to my head, would you put the designated hitter in the national league? I would say, I would say I I could live with it. What are your thoughts? I would hate to see it, but I would take that in a zillion years over the pitch clock or an automated strike zone or (laughs) starting extra innings at second base. Uh, you know, the thing is, I actually don't think the DH is going to be in the National League. I think it will be this year. But the a lot of the National League owners actually like the way it is right now. Um, and so I just don't see them agreeing to uh, have it be in the National League. Um, but it's something like, I wouldn't be thrilled, but it, I wouldn't, but it wouldn't be the end of the world. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's funny because... Um... You know, these this this whole um, DH discussion began a little bit ago, and now you're seeing articles come out uh, for each team. Who would be the fit for the DH? And um, and roster spots are expected to go up a ton. You know, and you'd have a have a have to pick like 28, 30, 35 guys that would be active that day. Uh, so, what are your thoughts, kind of, on the roster thing? Because I I heard fifty. Uh, I heard. Uh, and then you'd you'd submit something before the game or something that would be maybe 26 to 32 people that would be active that day. Uh, in minor league baseball, I think at this point, and you might agree with me on this, minor league baseball is a forgotten cause this year. I don't think it's coming back. Uh, so you need to get guys like, you know, Luciano, Bart, Ramos, and Bart's, you know, pretty much there. If Buster Posey would was not, you know, playing on the Giants, Joey Bart, would for sure make the opening day roster. So how would, how do you think that would benefit some of those guys? And like the DH would benefit guys like Pence and Sandoval. What are your thoughts on the roster situation there? I've got a lot to say on this. I think rosters should be at 35 to 40. Uh, I think that for this season and this season only, that's the case. I think that teams should be able to just change their, there shouldn't be a limit on how many changes teams can make to their roster have like a fifty have like a fifty man roster with a thirty five to forty man active roster, and you can you know switch switch guys off the roster every day if you want. Um, but I think that would be the best way to go at it. I think we'll actually what will be cool about this is I actually think it will speed up a lot of the. Uh, uh, of course, Bart and Ramos, we're going to see for sure. It's going to speed up a lot of the development. It's going to speed up the development for a lot of the the younger guys. Hunter Bishop probably wasn't going to be ready till late next year early 2022 good chance he could be an everyday guy come the start of next year uh marco um uh, uh marco luciano wasn't going to be ready till late 22 or early 23 he may probably would get some time this year and perhaps at some point next year he could be an everyday guy so it really can fast track um some of the young guys the one concern i would have is perhaps maybe they wouldn't be ready for major league pitching and that would really mess them up mentally but i actually think it would be more of a positive than uh, a negative for them um 
as I said, I would have 35 to 40 man daily rosters. And what's, what's cool about this is let's say you had your normal 10 team format with normal rosters in an 82 game season. That alone would, would give way to some palooks because teams would be able to play over their heads in 82 games. Plus you wouldn't have to be too far over 500 to get one of the 10 playoff spots. You're going to have a bunch of different guys on the rosters. And I'm guessing that about 20 to 30% of the players will choose not to play this year. So let's say you have a 40 man roster and five or six guys on each team who don't play. It's going to be half minor league guys, half major leaguers. You factor that in with 14 teams in the playoffs. I mean, you're going to see some major flukes this season. And I, I'm just, it's, it would be really cool to see. And it's just one of the many reasons I hope and I think they will have a season. A lot of Cinderella teams. And also for the minor leagues, just to mention um, real quick, I think maybe if teams put together programs um, and they all come together and there's some type of, um, you know, league with minimum funding, they like rent out a stadium or something and they have like little tournaments or something, uh, you might be able to have something like not, maybe not corresponding with minor league baseball. Maybe you get minor league baseball involved. I don't know, but something, something at least with competition, but we'll have to see with that. So before we go, um, where can people find you on um, social media if they want to follow you? Uh, so go ahead and plug yourself. Oh dear. Um, I'm talking like an old uh, boomer. Uh, Twitter is at SR unfiltered. Um, same with the uh, Periscope. And you can find me there. And I'm just looking for an outlet to write some articles on because I want to write an article on my plan for the year on what I think the compromise should be economically. Um, and you can uh, find me at SR Unfiltered. Um, actually, can I make a, a thing about the minor leagues? Go for it. Yeah. I think, honestly, by August, you could have a situation where maybe some of the single-A leagues, which are, you know, kind of, localized California league, the Florida league, Carolina league, um, Pacific Northwest leagues, you know, Midwest league and, and, and others, I think could possibly have like a, you know, one to two month season in August and September. I think, I think we'll have the Arizona fall league for sure. Um, and I think we'd probably be able to have the Arizona rookie league and the Gulf coast league in August. So I think, I think what will happen is we'll end up, they'll find a way to get some of the lower minor leagues, in, uh, well, <laughs> the lower minor leagues in. Um, so that's how I'd go at it. But uh, that's my final say. You can find me at SR Unfiltered. And I'm actually going to go on scope after I get off with you to continue my opinions on the baseball season. So uh, that's where you can find me, folks. SR Sounds good. Steven Ruderman, everybody, remember the name. Um, Again, you can follow this podcast on Twitter at Strikes Podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at Throwing Strikes Podcast. Uh, and we have a lot uh, more in store for you guys soon. Two new episodes coming very soon. Uh, so check those out as well. Uh, Steven Risotto again, signing off for Steven Ruderman. Thank you for listening and have a great day.